Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. As we discussed during last week's Capital Conference recap with Greg Stancil, we had some amazing speakers at this year's Capital Conference, our first Capital Conference as the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Many of the speakers took questions, but unfortunately, time constraints prevented us from asking some questions. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, NABIP's Marcy Buckner is back to go over some of the questions that we were not able to get to during the event. Let's get right into these questions. The first question we have here was written for Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota, who discussed the recent Medicare marketing requirements that we have noted many times needlessly apply to independent agents. So the first question that we have is, regarding the Medicare marketing rules during the 2022 session, Thank you. Are you going to resurrect a bill in 2023 for us to rally around? So NABIP is currently working with Senator Round's office on reintroducing a bill that would once again remove the recording requirements for independent agents and brokers in the Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D markets. The reason we haven't had it dropped yet is that Senator Rounds is also looking at some other areas in Medicare where we may be able to assist in some of the overbearing requirements and regulations that have been put in place on independent agents and brokers and make the bill a bit more broad and not only tailored to the recording requirements. So we are working with his office now on that and also looking to hopefully add a Democrat as a co-sponsor so that we can move forward with this as a bipartisan piece of legislation. So moving on to our regulatory focus speakers, we had quite a few questions for both Sasayo Deputy Director for Policy Jeff Wu and the CMS Principal Deputy Administrator and Chief Operating Officer Jonathan Blum. So let's begin with some of the questions that were meant for Jeff Wu. Before we get into the questions for him, can you just briefly remind the audience who Jeff Wu is and what his function is at Sasayo? Sure. Jeff Wu is one of the deputy directors at the Center for Consumer Information and Insurance Oversight. We call it SOSIO as the acronym. He works directly with the federal marketplaces, the federal exchanges, and works directly with the director of SOSIO, the head of SOSIO, who is Dr. Ellen Montz. So Jeff Wu is someone that we meet with on a regular basis to discuss issues that we're having in the individual market and the exchanges not just specific to the agent experience, but also how consumers can benefit from changes in the marketplace. And he's someone who reviews the comments that we submit on things like the notice of benefit and payment parameters that like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So the first question we had for him was, 
CMS measures agent and broker data, as well as self-enrollment data. So what about navigators and assisters? They do measure that data. Um, the reason why Jeff Wu didn't share that while he was with us was because he knew he was speaking to a group of agents and brokers and didn't necessarily think that that would have been information that you all were interested in. It is information that is available. They break down the data. They really drill down and break down the data to look at where the enrollments are happening, who is assisting in enrolling consumers, where those enrollments are happening so that they can determine the best way to provide outreach because of course their goal is to increase the the number of insured across the board and they know that one of the best ways to do that is to engage health insurance agents and brokers which you all prove year after year with the number of enrollments that you do this year when Jeff Wu came and spoke to us he shared that health insurance agents and brokers enrolled over 71% of individuals that went into the federal exchange. That by far is the largest amount that you all have done in the several years that the marketplace has been open. It's up from 62% last year, which was a record in itself. So that's why he was really focusing on the agent and broker data there to really celebrate you all and the amount of enrollments that you do. So the next question we have, are there any plans to help control the issue of having agents accessing clients' applications without the client's consent? Yes, this is something that we actually discussed with Jeff Wu and Dr. Montz and some others at Sasayo in the middle of February. They had a CMS uh, Sasayo roundtable with agents and brokers to discuss issues in the exchanges. And one of them was specifically this issue and the problem with consumers unknowingly answering a phone call almost similar to what we're seeing in the Medicare market with some of the fraud and abuse, where they're being contacted by other entities and being told they need to switch their plan and unknowingly end up taking their agent off of the agent of record, which causes a lot of problems, obviously problems with with payment for you all to receive your commission. But the larger issue is that consumer now doesn't have the benefit of working with you and having your guidance and making sure that they're enrolled in the best plan for you and you're no longer listed with healthcare.gov to be able to call and make changes on their behalf. So this is something that they're looking into and specifically looking at how the data is being shared for these actors to be able to manipulate that data and get into the system and contact these consumers resulting in in some of these issues. So we do know it is on their list of items that they're looking into. Our next question we have is from Hunter Fisher of our North Carolina chapter. For social security numbers and data matching issues, can you fix that for newborns? In his question, Hunter says many newborns cause DMI issues, and to correct it, they have to submit forms of documentation to prove that the newborn child should be on the plan. Yes. So this data matching issue, that's the the DMI that he's talking about with social security numbers, is a huge issue. And this is, again, something that we discussed at that roundtable in mid-February. It's an issue not just for newborns. It's an issue with other populations as well, but we do know that with newborns, it's obviously something that happens every time a child is born when they're trying to extend coverage to the newborn child. So this is something that they're looking into in a way of being able to have them enrolled while you're waiting for that social security number without having to submit 
several pieces of documentation once you do receive that social security number. So this is another item that they are looking at how they can fix so that they are aware of the issue and want to make it easier for you all and and for those families that, as you can imagine, have other things on their mind when they've just welcomed a new member into their family. Next question. Since agents and brokers are responsible for such a huge portion of ACA enrollments, is it possible to apply pressure or create policy that requires carriers to appropriately compensate brokers? If this question had been asked to Jeff Wu, he would have not been able to answer it, not because he doesn't know the answer, right? It's because HHS does not step in when it comes to the amount of commissions that are paid. It's not their role. It is also something that for NABIP, we have to be very careful about for antitrust reasons. So that is why we don't approach HHS asking for a specific commission amount. We did ask and make sure that commissions are paid with enrollments in the individual exchange. And we were very instrumental in the guidance that came out about a year ago from Sasayo that confirmed and reinforced that commissions must be paid the same regardless of whether the plan is enrolled during a special enrollment period or an open enrollment period. Those are the things that they have control over, but they're not able to enforce a specific amount of commission. This is also something that NABIP has discussed with our leadership and the discussion and thought about asking for a specific amount to be put in statute somewhere makes it hard for that amount to change. So we don't want to ask for a specific percentage or a specific amount of commission to be controlled. Also because that can be considered by some and is considered by many as price fixing. And if we start to try to dabble in price fix in one area of healthcare, we know it will seep into other areas, which is not what we want. So Unfortunately, we're not able to ask for a specific amount of commission, but the way that we discuss this and the way that Sasayo discusses it with the carriers is that they do need to pay a commission on plans that are enrolled in the individual exchange by agents and brokers. The next question we have here regarding complexity of plans. If CMS recognizes that the plans are very complicated, why doesn't CMS make the plans easier to understand? This is something else that the SIO is seeking to address in the most recent Notice of Benefit and Payment Parameters, the MBPP proposed rule that we talked about on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And what they're trying to do is to create more areas for the standardized plans for how they're listed on the website to try to make it easier for those plans for consumers to look through and be able to compare them and select a plan. It is a complex decision, and we know it's complex even when you're on the website with your clients. And so that is part of some of the streamlining for the standardized plans in the MVPP. So the next question we have here related to plan choices is from Daniel Class of our South Carolina chapter. And he talked about the proposed 2024 NBPP, and he said, that the 2024 NBPP is going down the path of limiting plan choices for consumers to two plans and one standard for each metal in the individual market. Why is CMS considering this? Dan, this is perfectly lined up with the previous question. Part of the reason why they're doing this is to try to boil down the plans so that 
they are able to be understood more simply by consumers in the way that they're hosted online. However, we are also very concerned about this because just like the NABIT member points out, it limits plans and it limits plan choice. Many of us remember the days, the early days of the ACA, where we had bare counties, counties that did not have any carriers in them, or counties that had one carrier that was available. That's not choice. We want to make sure that we're protecting the free market and that carriers are able to provide as many plans as they choose within reason. And that's part of the MBPP is making sure there's a reasonable amount of difference between plans if they're offering multiple plans. But we don't want to get to the point where because we're limiting the amount of plans that carriers are able to provide that we see carriers leaving the market and we go back to where we were almost a decade ago. It really was not that long ago that we had those bare counties. So uh, we are cautioning very strongly against this and asking that we make sure that we're, we're not limiting choice because that is the whole thought behind the ACA is about having access and choice to affordable plans. And so by limiting that, we are really restricting the coverage that's available to the American people. So the last question we have that was meant for Jeff Wu is regarding the Medicaid unwinding that's coming up quite soon. Will there be special considerations for tax credits similar to unemployment benefits in 2021? Well, not to harp on the MVPP, but I feel like Jeff Wu would point back to this. He he likes his data and he likes his documents. One piece of the MVPP for 2024 allows for a special enrollment period that begins 60 days prior and continues 90 days after the loss of Medicaid coverage. And it's designed specifically for this population that the um, member is mentioning that will be possibly going off of Medicaid at the end of the public health emergency, which is what they're referencing with the Medicaid unwinding, if anyone listening is unfamiliar with that term. During the public health emergency, during the pandemic, if you went on to Medicaid, uh, you were not going to go off of Medicaid until the end of the public health emergency. That is going to end in just a few weeks, and states have three months to determine how they are going to handle the unwinding in their states because, of course, Medicaid is a partnership between the state and federal government. So beyond just having the special enrollment period, we do think that there are going to be other pieces when it comes to the tax credits, which was mentioned in this member's question. We already saw Congress extend the increase in subsidies that were in the American Rescue Plan Act that was initially passed uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. That increase in subsidies going up to 400% of federal poverty level and also eliminating that subsidy cliff, as they call it, at 400% of federal poverty level will continue through 2025. So we are anticipating further guidance from CMS of exactly how to treat this population and make sure that they are transitioning to appropriate coverage and staying covered, hopefully working with an agent to do so, and also making sure that this population understands the time frame that is put in place when you are transitioning off of Medicaid and trying to make sure you're eligible to go into the individual market and receive a subsidy. NABIP recently joined the Connecting to Coverage Coalition, which is a group that includes insurance carriers, healthcare providers, different physician groups, the American Hospital Association, the AMA, 
and all are targeted at making sure that people who went into Medicaid during the pandemic, if they no longer qualify, that they know how to get covered in their state. So this is something that we're working with CMS on, but we are also working in separate coalitions to make sure that we can make this hopefully as seamless as possible. Although it is expected to be the largest shift in coverage from government-funded insurance to private insurance that that we've ever seen. So CMS really is calling for all hands on deck, and we are happy to assist and make sure that those that got coverage during the public health emergency and went into Medicaid are able to find the appropriate coverage for them. Now, let's go through some of the questions for John Blum. So the first question is relating to quote-unquote bad eggs. The question reads, I have been on a few telephone calls with Medicare beneficiaries to guide them through the 30 to 60 minute process to file a marketing misrepresentation complaint. During the process, the name of the agent marketing and selling the plan and enrolling the beneficiary, we call these agents quote-unquote bad eggs. Once the names of the agent are submitted to CMS, what does CMS do about these fraudulent bad eggs? So this is an issue that exists both in the, in the Medicare market and in the individual market where, and so I'm going to talk about them kind of together, even though this, this question is specific to the Medicare market. But for both of those markets, if someone's selling in the federal exchange or they're selling in the Medicare market, CMS is taking in those complaints of the, of the bad eggs as worded in the question. And the issue that they have with being able to take action is that agents and brokers are licensed by the state. And so CMS then coordinates with the state departments of insurance to determine whether action needs to be taken against that agent or broker. The other issue is, and I think someone may have this question later on, the other issue is some of these bad eggs are offshore and they're those third-party marketing organizations and, and lead generators that are beyond reach of either CMS or any state DOI. So that is also an issue with being able to take action. So there's several layers there with going after the bad eggs. CMS can terminate the agreement with an agent when they are certified to sell in the individual market if they see that there is too much fraudulent activity, but they cannot take their license away. And it's very similar on the Medicare side. So when it comes to licensure, that has to be addressed by the state departments of insurance. But CMS does work with within their agency to follow up on, on these complaints, but it is something that takes several different entities to be able to address the bad eggs. I'm not saying that, that this is a preferred system. I'm just explaining the system that's in place right now. So the next question we have that was meant for John Blum. Does CMS have a broker advisory council? They do. On the society side, on the individual market side, it's much more robust. On the Medicare side, it does not meet as regularly as the one on the individual market side. This is something that we have requested. We really like the interaction that we have with Sasayo when it comes to the federal marketplace. And we have asked for that to be replicated in the Medicare market. So CMS is very siloed when it comes to the different markets. 
there's not a lot of crossover when it comes to staffing and how they support the individual market and federal exchange versus Medicare um, versus Medicaid. So it is working with very different groups when it comes to the different markets, but we are asking for more interaction than what is currently in place with their agent advisory group. So the next question we have here is in regards to the Medicare marketing requirements. If an agent receives a call from a Medicare beneficiary requesting a face-to-face appointment and it is not a sale, is there any reason that that call needs to be recorded? There's no reason that call needs to be recorded. CMS with the Medicare marketing rule at the end of last year released an FAQ document, which was largely prompted by conversations that NABIP had with CMS about how to implement the Medicare marketing rule. And one of the questions was specifically about what calls are recorded. And they said any call leading to an enrollment, which was a little confusing, what they meant was the conversation that is on that specific call becomes an enrollment. So if you are actively asking them questions to enroll them in a plan. A call to set up a future date where that enrollment conversation is going to take place, regardless of whether they're calling to schedule a future call for an enrollment or they're calling to schedule a future in-person meeting or Zoom, does not count as a call that leads to an enrollment. So that call does not need to be recorded. This was also reiterated in the proposed rule earlier this year. There's the second round of Medicare marketing rules, and they do a better job of really explaining this. Again, that's that's a proposed rule. It's not final yet. But in the proposed rule, they reiterate the language that was in the FAQ document from the end of the year, saying it's really just those calls where the enrollment takes place. The next question we have here. Does CMS recognize the difference between agents who are really helping Medicare participants and third-party marketing organizations? Yes and no. So the way that we saw the Medicare marketing rule, when they defined TPMO, third-party marketing organizations, they listed out different entities and independent agents and brokers are one of those entities. So they do recognize that there are different groups within the third-party marketing organizations. However, within that definition, when they then go on to put regulations in place, anything that's now regulating a TPMO, that definition extends to independent agents and brokers. An ongoing conversation that we have with them and something that we were asking you all to make sure that you're reinforcing when you went onto your Hill visits was the role that agents and brokers play in the Medicare market and specifically highlighting that you all are the service agents, that you work with these beneficiaries throughout the year on a number of different items. It is not just a one-time sale. And that is, is truly what sets you apart. They do recognize that, they, or they, they know that, but it has not been recognized in the recent regulations that we've seen. And so that's something that is an ongoing conversation with us, uh, both with CMS and with members of Congress so that we can have their support when we go over to the agencies and, and ask for these changes. So the last couple of questions that we have here today both relate to the Medicare marketing requirements still. So the first question is from a member from the Minnesota chapter. Local people like to work with local agents, but during the ice, snow, and cold 
in the Minnesota winter, some people prefer and are safer to call their agents instead. Unfortunately, local agents don't have the technology or capability to record, file, and store every call. So how do you suggest we separate offshore or unethical call centers from local high street agencies? This is something that we emphasized in our comment letter, not necessarily the ice and snow in Minnesota, but the fact that oftentimes there are challenges during open enrollment or the special enrollment period for Medicare beneficiaries, which limits their ability to meet in person with their agent or broker. This can be, it's limiting for the beneficiary to go out to meet them, or it could be you know, like you said here, uh, there could be a blizzard, which limits the agent's ability to travel if the roads are closed. So we pointed out that independent agents and brokers should be treated differently, not just because these challenges exist and people want to work with someone who's local, but because those independent agents and brokers usually are not part of a larger organization that has the funding to put in place the technology for recording the enrollment calls. So we have asked and have asked again in the most recent comments that we submitted that independent agents and brokers be taken out of the recording requirements. We've also asked that if we can't lift those requirements, that they change the length of time that those recordings have to be stored to help financially, um, because we know that storing those data files can be quite expensive, especially with the requirement that you store them for 10 years. So we've asked them to shorten that to make it a little bit more financially feasible for for some to be able to comply. And we've also asked for the ability for beneficiaries to waive the recording because we do know that there are some beneficiaries that are going to be very limited. They're not going to be able to meet in person with an agent or broker just regardless of, of the situation. But They also may be very skeptical about having their conversation recorded and stored in the cloud when they're talking about their personal health and financial information and having that out there where there could be a data breach. Um, So we do think that beneficiaries should be able to say that they understand that the recording requirement is in place, but that they don't wish to be recorded. And we also have asked that Medicare agents and brokers working with beneficiaries that they have a longstanding relationship that they also not be subject to these rules. If you are working with a beneficiary and you have enrolled them for the past 10 years in their in their Medicare plan, it is not likely that you are enrolling them in a plan that um that is fraudulent or you're enrolling them in a plan that's not best for them, that you have left out key prescription drugs that they need to to make sure that their treatments are continuing. We believe that if you are working with someone that is a returning client beneficiary, that you also should not be subject to these reporting requirements. So those are things that we're asking for that hopefully can provide a little relief in situations like yours in Minnesota and across the country. The final unanswered question that we will review today reads as follows. The disclaimer, and they're talking about the disclaimer that independent agents in the Medicare market have to say on their calls with beneficiaries now. The disclaimer puts an agent in the position to send people back to 1-800-MEDICARE ships and people who are not licensed nor certified to provide accurate information. So how do you justify this? 
Well, I can't justify it. Uh, maybe maybe John Blum would have, have been able to. But I will say this is another piece that NABIP has pointed out to CMS, that you all are the licensed and certified professionals that are the best equipped to help this population. And sending those beneficiaries to 1-800-MEDICARE or Medicare.gov or to the state health insurance groups, the SHIPS, who are not licensed and do not have a number of these regulations put on them, are not required to record their phone conversations. We pointed out that they many times are leaving these beneficiaries susceptible to the very bad actors that they're trying to protect them against. And I'm not saying that there are bad actors at at 100Medicare or Medicare.gov. I'm saying that if a beneficiary is told to then go and call the 1-800 number, um, oftentimes between the time that they talk to that agent or broker and the time they're able to call 1-800 Medicare, they're going to receive a call from one of those bad actors, one of those other 1-800 numbers, and they could fall victim to some of these pieces that they're trying, once again, CMS is trying to protect those beneficiaries from. So we think this is very dangerous. We also know that because there aren't licensed agents and brokers that are answering the lines, even at Medicare.gov and 1-800-MEDICARE, that oftentimes beneficiaries can call and they can ask the same question. And depending on who answers the phone, they can get a different answer. And that obviously is very confusing, especially when you're looking at trying to figure out if a certain doctor is in your network or a certain prescription drug is covered. They need a firm answer and a correct answer, which is what agents and brokers are able to provide to them. So this is something that we have pointed out and we will continue to message about because we do want to make sure that, once again, we're protecting those beneficiaries. Were these all of the questions that we weren't able to get to during the conference? These are not. We still have some questions saved, ones that, similar to some of these where I can't necessarily give the perspective of CMS, but I can tell you what is in the rules and what NABIP has said about it. But some of these are asking about future plans for CMS or specific plan design questions that I am not able to answer for SOSIO or CMS. So we are working with the staff over at the agencies to try to put together a separate podcast with some of the follow-up questions that we did not cover today, as well as some that we covered today. So you can hear their perspective on those answers. And we'll be following up either with a podcast or webinar or possibly a written Q&A. But we are working on on getting those to you um, since we weren't able to get to them during the conference. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So Marcy, who are we toasting to this week? This week, we are toasting to the Connecting to Coverage Coalition and our partners within that coalition that are seeking to provide information to the different populations that will be impacted by the Medicaid unwinding. We're looking forward to working with them and getting this information out and making sure that folks get covered and stay covered. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.